Our reading for this morning is in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1 and verses 26 to 38. And I don't know what it is in the church Bibles, sorry. Page 1026 in the church Bibles. So in this passage, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary to tell her that although she is a virgin, she will miraculously bear a son who will be called Jesus. So Luke 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, that's of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. But how, how will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Uh, I wonder whether you were so focused on uh, the question that you missed the most important thing. Is that little video in some way uh, representative of what Christmas is like for you. I mean, we're on the 1st of December now, and it's going to be a mad rush, isn't it? Getting excited, ready for Christmas, it's all happening. Do you have experience in your life with all the stuff that's going on? You get distracted from the one thing that really matters the most. That's always my experience every Christmas. And my prayer is, as we come to this passage, uh, we won't do that this Christmas. Uh, I've often wondered, why does Luke have this kind of long introduction to his Gospel when Mark just jumps straight into the action? And I think one of the reasons is, He's just wanting us to slow down. Yes, Luke says, I'm going to tell you all about Jesus and what he's done, but you've got to understand who he is first. So just slow down with me, Luke says. Have a look. Let me introduce this amazing man to you. And our passage is part of that kind of introduction. And we're going to think about simply this thing this morning. The first Christmas, God graciously gave us his Saviour King. That's what we're going to think about. And just spend some time thinking about what is this gospel that we believe and that we sing about and that we claim has a claim on our life. What is it? And just to spend some time marvelling at it. When was the last time you actually slowed down to marvel at the gospel? 
So let me pray as we come to God's word that he'd help us to do that this morning. Heavenly Father, life is just very busy and the next 24 days or so will be busier than normal. So please, in this time now, help us to slow down. Help us to consider what the gospel is and to marvel at it this morning. Amen. What's the first thing we're going to think about? The first Christmas, God graciously gave. You know John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in the Bible. It was definitely the first verse I ever learned. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That's an amazing verse, isn't it? And every time I think about that verse, I always focus on Jesus who died in my place so that I could be forgiven and have life. And that's the glorious truth. But I've often rushed over the beginning bit of that verse. Just consider the first phrase. For God so loved the world that he gave. Isn't that utterly staggering? Just think about it for a second. Here's a God who created everything. There's nothing he cannot do. There's nothing he needs. He owes no one anything. And yet he would choose to give. Just in itself, that is a staggering truth, isn't it? God would choose to give. We're going to notice, just look at the passage. Notice two things that Luke the writer shows us at the beginning of this passage that shows us that God is a God who graciously gives us, gives to us. Do you notice, three times in the passage, we're drawn attention to the fact that Mary is a virgin. Do you see it twice in verse 27? Once in verse 34? So here's this young girl. She's probably about 13. And in that culture, you'd get engaged around 13, be engaged for about a year. She's a young girl. But three times, Luke says, she's a virgin. And notice as well what the angel Gabriel says to this virgin girl in verse 28. Greetings, Mary, you who are highly favoured. That phrase literally means, you who are graced, or you whose grace is upon you. See, the attention isn't here meant to be on Mary. We're not meant to bow down at Mary. The reason that this verse is here, and the reason that virgin is mentioned three times, is because Luke the writer is saying, have you understood who Mary is? She's the virgin, the virgin girl. But it's God's grace who's upon her. And we hold up Mary with the glorious truth about what's going to happen to Mary. That's the staggering thing. God had to sovereignly intervene to give his grace, to enable Mary, who was a virgin, to give birth to the Son of God. This is the second thing. Where did all this take place? It took place in Nazareth. Just an ordinary town, southeast of Galilee. But this is not the glorious truth of the gospel. It's to ordinary people in ordinary places that God gives his grace. That's why these details are in there. Not so we magnify Mary, but so we magnify the Lord Jesus. Because what happened to this ordinary girl in an ordinary place was staggering. Well, why does this matter? Why does it matter that when we think of the gospel, we really focus on the grace of God? Well, think about our culture. Uh, is it not true we live in an, ent- in an entitlement culture? In this country, I'm entitled to democracy and a vote. I'm entitled to health care and education. I'm entitled to peace and prosperity. And they're great things. And it's right and proper that we are entitled to them. What happens, though, when you take this entitlement culture and you bring it to the gospel? I suddenly then think that the gospel is something that I have earned or I deserve or is a right. It's very dangerous then, isn't it? Have you ever heard the person say something like, 
Don't worry about your sin. God will forgive you. That's his job. You heard that before? Or don't take living for God and being godly and honouring him that seriously because he's loving. Now, it's very true, he's very loving and he's very forgiving. But we must never ever presume those things of God. The fact that he forgives us is a miracle. It's not a right. For God so loved the world that he gave. That is an astonishing truth. And we must never ever ever cheapen grace to think that it's something that we have a right to something that we've earned, something that we deserve. Because then we're going to kid ourselves about who we are and we're going to try and kid God with who he is. The first Christmas, God graciously gave. But he didn't have to. Let's just unpack that a little bit with a a short diagram. A couple of weeks ago when I was here, remember I was sort of acting out the sort of history of the whole world in about two minutes, moving across the stage, and we were in Eden... And when Adam and Eve doubted God's goodness and doubted God's word, it was their act of rebellion against him, which was saying, God, you may be Lord, but no longer. I'm Lord of my life. And so in judgment, God cast them out of the garden. He said this to them. You've rejected me as Lord. It's called sin. Not so much just the bad stuff I do or the good stuff I should do that I fail to do, but more an attitude right in my heart that plays out in everything I do in my life. That's what sin is. And that's what he says to every human being. Well, how do we respond? There's really two responses, isn't there? No, I haven't. I haven't sinned. Ridiculous. So just carry on my life. Or I say, yes, I have sinned. But if I'm prepared to say, yes, I have sinned, there's a second question you have to ask. What's it cost? See, some people are prepared to say, yes, I've sinned against the Holy God, but there's no penalty. It's kind of like stealing a cookie out of a cookie jar. I might get a slap on the hand, but big deal. But if there is a penalty... Then there's a third question to be asked. Who's going to pay? Now, I imagine that most of us would say, well, I understand the gospel. I understand that I cannot pay for my sin. The debt is too great. And I I know that Jesus Christ paid for it in my place. I know the majority of people here would say that. But you also know that in your moments of pride, just like in my moments of pride, is it not true that we hold the grace of God here and say, I am forgiven by the blood of Jesus, but... I just want to cash in a bit of credit in the bank to help. I know he'll save me, but if I'm just a bit loving, if I give money to people, if I read my Bible, if I'm a good person, that will just kind of help. And together, the grace of God plus my good effort. And we kind of want to add this stuff, don't we, all the time. Our pride just plays into all of this. But the truth is, there's nothing we can do because the penalty is too great. Just listen to the words of one of the church leaders in the 11th century, a long time ago. He said this, What do you give to God by your obedience that you did not already owe him? See, if he's Lord of everything and every breath that I take is a gift from him, then whatever I do in obedience to him, I owed him anyway because I owed him my life. What do you give God by your obedience that you did not already owe him? Yes, it's good to do these things, but they cannot pay any part of the penalty because you owed him that anyway. But the alternative then is someone else pays. And that's the amazing gift of the gospel, isn't it? Here I am, guilty before God, and I don't deserve to be saved. And here is Jesus Christ, perfect, never did anything wrong. But he's prepared to, prepared to swap places with me. He's prepared to be punished in my place so I can go free. For God so loved the world that he gave. We 
We must never, friends, ever, ever let that truth become familiar to us because it's glorious. We'll just have a second look at the passage again. This is the second thing we're going to think about. The first Christmas, God graciously gave us his Saviour King. Uh, have you ever been given a lame present, a really rubbish Christmas present? Some of you know that you have. Uh, I once was, you know, you know um, those kind of hoop things that you can put, I'm not going to embarrass myself, but you put it around your waist and if you've sort of got uh, any kind of flexibility, which I haven't, you can kind of go around in circles and the hoop keep goes around your body. My grandma gave that to me once when I was about 14. <laughs> and it was wrapped up just like a hoop, so it's kind of obvious what it is. And you know the sort of awkward phone call when you ring up grandma and you're like, thanks very much for the great present, I, I love it. And I said to her, Grandma, why did you give me this hoop? And she said, I saw some rugby players training with one. I thought you'd like one. And to this day, I've I've never figured out quite what she meant because I've never, ever seen the use of that in a rugby pitch. But there we are. That was the lame present she gave me. Each of us have been given lame presents alongside the great presents. But if you've been given a lame present and then you hear that the God of the Bible wants to give, is it not possible that we might be tempted to think, well, maybe what he wants to give me is lame? Yeah, he gave me a son. Well, big deal. I'd rather have an iPod, thank you very much. Or the new iPhone. We don't really understand what he gives, so we just cast it off as a lame present, rather like this hoop. I've no idea where it is today. I've never used it. To avoid that danger, what Luke does is he packs this passage full of pictures and allusions and names of who Jesus Christ is, so we really grasp who he is. Because if if we're to cast him off as lame, it's because we don't understand who he is. Have a look at verse 30. What does, he, what does the angel Gabriel say to Mary when, she, when he comes? Mary, you will give birth to a son and you'll give him the name Jesus. What does Jesus mean? God saves. It means saviour. And we hear that and we think, great, he's a saviour. Now what's he going to save me from? I mean, is Jesus going to save me from political tyrants? Is he going to save me from injustice? Is he going to save me from inequality? Is he going to save me from the boys at school who bully me? Or the girls who say I'm ugly? Is he going to save me from the monotony of my job and the boredom? Oh, is he going to save me from my maths teacher? Is he going to save me from my nagging wife? What's he going to save me from? Is he going to save me from everyone else? Because if everyone was like me, the world would be a better place, surely. Now, we laugh, but that's actually what we would probably think deep in our hearts. But do you know the incredible thing about the Gospel? Jesus Christ came to save us from ourselves. That's a hard truth, isn't it? What do you mean, save me from myself? Or put it more directly, Jesus Christ came to save you from yourself. So you go back to the Garden of Eden. Mankind made an image of God, made for a relationship with God. Back then, nobody needed saving from anything. Because we were in the garden, we were just enjoying God. Someone once said, what's the purpose of being a human being? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What does that mean? Well, to glorify God simply means to live in relationship with him, to know that he's Lord and I'm not, and to to enjoy the world that he's given me. What does enjoy him mean? Just enjoy the fact that he's Lord, and he's given us everything. Enjoy God, glorify God and enjoy him forever. Why has Jesus Christ come into the world as saviour? It's because he's come to save us from ourselves, from an attitude that thinks that we can be king and dethrone him. That's why we desperately need saving. 
And just look at the passage, because Luke tells us two things about this Saviour. First of all, he says, Jesus is Lord. Do you see in verse 32? He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That phrase literally means, he will be recognised to be. This is who he is, but this is who people will recognise him to be. You need to understand who he is. And that's a really significant name, Son of the Most High. See, it's the name the Israelites will have used in the Old Testament, the people of God, to refer to God. One of the names, the Most High. They were, they were living in a culture of polytheism. That means many gods. And one of the ways they wanted to stand out and be distinctive is say in a world of many gods, there's one God. He's the Most High. He is the one and only. God is peerless. There's no one like him. And have a look at the second half of verse 35. The angel says, The Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Well, that's a title name that's given to Jesus that recognises that he is Lord, that he's God. These aren't just sort of throwaway lines that Luke's just chucking in there. They're very deliberate because they're harking back to the Old Testament and really significant names that are given of God so that we understand who is this man Jesus who was given as a gift that first Christmas. Do you notice the second thing? Not only is Jesus Christ Lord, but he's also King. See verse 32? The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. Again, that's not a throwaway line. Do you remember um, two weeks ago, we were here, maybe right here, Genesis chapter 12, and God made an amazing promise to Abraham. And I was trying to show us that if we want to understand the whole sweep of the Bible, one story, you have to understand this promise made to Abraham. Well, if you go a thousand years on from Abraham, you get to David. And God makes another incredible promise to David. And it comes in the book called 2 Samuel, chapter 7. Now, don't turn to it now, but this is a challenge for you this week. Go and read 2 Samuel, chapter 7. And then read Luke, chapter 1, and you'll be blown away. Because just like when God made a promise to Abraham, which was pointing forward to and would be fulfilled in Jesus, a thousand years later when he makes a promise to David, that promise too is pointing forward to and will be fulfilled in Jesus. It's staggering. So when Luke uses this language, it's very clever because he's deliberately referring back to this very significant moment. One day a king's going to come in the line of David and his throne will last forever. And remember what we said earlier on? This isn't deserved. It can't be earned. It's not a right. It's a gift. You see now why it really, really, really matters that we slow down and understand who Jesus is. Because if someone else is going to bear the penalty for my sin, he's got to be Lord and he's got to be King. Because if he's just another bloke, he can't save me from anything. That's why Luke slows us down so we grasp who he is, because it's only because of who he is that he can die for us. The first Christmas, God graciously gave. And here's the third thing we're going to think about. It's all very well, these great truths that we sort of speak of in church and we know, but the really big thing that really matters is what are we going to do about that? 
what difference is that going to make in our life? So I want to ask you the question this morning. This Christmas, will you worship Jesus as God's Saviour King? Just perhaps there's someone here today for whom you hear all this stuff, and maybe you've heard this kind of gospel message many times. You think, it is unbelievable. It's staggering that the God of the universe would give me his son, and all I've got to do is trust in him, and I'll be forgiven. That is mind-blowing. But it's almost too good to be true. I, I can't get my head around it, and that's why I can't commit. I can't, I can't really trust him. Perhaps you are greatly troubled by this, because you really want it to be true. But you just don't see how it can be. Well, if that's you, just have a look at Mary, because you're probably experiencing something very similar to her. Do you see what it says in verse 29? Mary was greatly troubled. She was greatly troubled. You'd be greatly troubled, wouldn't you? Here's a 19-year-old, a 13-year-old probably girl. She's not yet ever slept with a man, and an angel appears to her. That's scary enough. Then the angel speaks. Then the angel says, you're going to give birth to a son. And she's thinking, I'm a virgin. And then the angel says, the son you're going to bear is the son of God. You'd be greatly distressed, wouldn't you? Do you know that phrase, greatly distressed, is actually one word? And it's a word that's only used here in the whole New Testament because Luke's trying to draw attention to this place, saying, this girl is greatly distressed. And perhaps you feel in some way distressed by this gospel because it just seems too good to be true. You know, God is incredibly kind. What does he do to help a distressed young girl when she just can't grasp the magnitude of what's been said? Well, he speaks truth to her and he gives her a sign. Have a look at verse 35. Mary, the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Or some translations say, God's presence will come upon you. What God is really saying through Gabriel is, Mary, I am with you. She's overwhelmed, and, she said, and he says to her, I'm with you. And then he gives her a sign, verse 36. He says, Mary, think of your relative, Elizabeth. She's barren. She wasn't able to give birth to a son. But miraculously, God has worked in her life, and she's going to give birth to a son. Look, Mary, at that sign. Let that be a sign for you. What's happened to her can happen to you. That's the grace of God. Here is a girl who's utterly overwhelmed, perhaps like you might be, and God speaks truth to her. I'm with you. And then gives her a sign. Let that encourage you. I just love then the response that she makes in verse 38. It's incredible. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said, or may your word be fulfilled. See, she's got total confidence and trust. Not because of the way that she feels in her heart, but because God has spoken truth to her and given her a sign. And that's true for each of us. You know, you think of Abraham. Isn't it utterly remarkable that he would just trust in the words of God, go, and he just went? It's remarkable. And it's equally remarkable that Mary would trust in the words of Gabriel that this would happen to her because it's the most astonishing truth in the world. But our faith or our trust in the Lord Jesus is not kind of a blind faith where I'm staggering around in the dark trying to feel my way. It's based on his promises. Nothing's changed. And that's why we can have complete and utter confidence in the promises he does make. So I'd like to say to you, if you're a person yet here who's not yet trusted in Jesus, please, don't just let another Christmas whiz by 
and let these great truths just wash over your head. These are truths for you, just like the truth for me. And the Lord Jesus Christ wants to give you the gift of forgiveness and the gift of new life. And he's willing to do that with anyone who'll just come to him. Do you notice if you're still nervous, verse 33, speaking of Jesus, who's going to be the king, what are we told? His kingdom will never end. And verse 37, nothing's impossible with God. That's why we can trust him. But I guess for the majority of people here, you are a Christian believer, you love and trust the Lord Jesus. What, what difference will this make to you? I simply want to ask you this Christmas, what could you do to introduce this glorious message and this person of Jesus to somebody else this Christmas time? Who could you invite to something at a church meeting? Who could you pray for? Who could you take an invite to? Who could you love? Who could you offer to open the Bible with and introduce them to this glorious story, this message? Who is it for you? I wonder, could you um, learn from a man called Elijah? Or a little boy, actually. Not Elijah in the Bible. Uh, this is a four-year-old son of a friend of mine. Do you know what he said to his mum this week? It was paste- posted on Facebook. He said, Mummy, I'm Superman. Okay, got that bit wrong. But the next bit is not wrong. Mummy, I'm Superman. I'm going to take someone who's dead and bring them to Jesus because he can make them alive again. That's a four-year-old. Isn't that staggering? Because that's the truth of the gospel, isn't it? That people who are spiritually dead are brought to Jesus and he makes them alive again, gives them new life. That is what the gospel can do. Maybe we need to listen to four-year-olds more often because that's a very profound thought for someone of that age. But he's grasped it. And that is glorious. So this Christmas, the first Christmas, God graciously gave. Friends, please know, please remember, please remind one another that God gave at Christmas. It's not a right. It's not something I deserved. It's never anything I can earn. It's a gift. Please remember too, this, the first Christmas, God graciously gave us his saviour king. There's only one king in the world and it's not us. But God came to save us from ourselves so that we could glorify him and enjoy him forever. That just leaves you with a question. This Christmas, will you worship him as your king? Because that's who he is. Why don't you just take a moment of quiet... Um, the band will come up in a minute and lead us in a song and as they get ready just take a moment of still so that we don't just rush into the rest of Sunday and then into Christmas 